Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Comic Source Podcast. I'm your host, Jace. This is a 12 Days of the Comic Source episode. It's uh, an episode literally years in the making. Uh, and as you guys have come <laughs> from my background, I'm, I'm on the road here. I'm, I'm visiting some family for, for the holidays for a couple of days. So I uh, apologize. It's not my usual equipment. But we have a real treat for you because Alex Sinclair, who's a, a colorist and a, a comic creator who I've admired for a long time, and we've seen each other at shows over the years and talked many times, Alex, about having you on. And I mean, literally years. And it's, I'm glad that we're finally doing it. I know. I know. We've been trading emails back and forth for so long. And I feel horrible because uh, I've been excited to, to do this one. It just hasn't worked out for whatever reason. Right when yeah. we're about to nail it, the whole shutdown happened and, and just... Yep. So I'm thankful that we're, we finally got to this. We'll make it a special one. Yeah. And uh, so if you're listening on audio only, everybody, you really, this is one you're going to want to go to the YouTube channel and check out. Cause what's really cool about this is Alex is actually going to do some coloring while we talk so we can see, you know, what goes into the process. Uh, but before we kind of get into that, just let's talk a little bit about colors in comics in general. Uh, I've talked to different creators about it and I, you know, and I'm not a comic creator, but, you know, longtime reader, I, I sort of liken it to the kind of the soundtrack in a movie. It helps set the mood and kind of set up the tone, but not everybody buys into that. How do you see colors and, and what their role is in comics, Alex? Um, I see it like as the cinematographer. So we set up the lighting, the, the mood, like you mentioned, uh, the color schemes, uh, the palettes all that kind of stuff that I would think a cinematographer in the for a movie would do so. And so uh, we're definitely kind of uh, adding to what these, uh, the pencil and the anchor have kind of brought to the, to the conversation. And we, we, we add to it, uh, hopefully make it better uh, and improve on it. And, and definitely this is a point where, where mood is, 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 is accentuated, made better um, and improved. And so that's um, that's that's kind of the role. Uh, I think my favorite part of, of comics is that it, it's a collaborative medium, and so that not only is is the penciler uh, bringing you know th their talents, but the, they're anticipating what two other artists are, are going to do ahead of them, and, and and so that each person is 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 adding to it, and then also kind of retaining what the person before them uh, had done, and and so it's kind of cool. I'm at the back end of the artistic side of the collaboration. And so that I'm, we're always kind of, there's a, a trust there that, that we have to, to, to adhere to. Uh, I think, uh, thankfully, I've been able to work with some teams long now that there's almost like a second hand that, that uh, uh, there's no real conversation that has to happen. It just kind of happens. Yeah, you know, obviously, you're very well known for, for uh, doing colors over uh, Scott Williams inks, which are over Jim Lee's pencils. You guys are just a, a dream team and been doing it so long. I'm sure that, it, yeah, in a lot of ways, it's it's second nature. But getting back to that idea of a, a cinematographer and, and setting up the feel and the tone, when you do work with somebody for so long and it becomes second nature, is it a challenge then when you move on? Because I know you've been doing some stuff at, at Marvel now. Is it a challenge to kind of, okay, it's a new uh, it's a new artist I haven't worked with. I got to kind of feel my way around a little bit. Is that a challenge? Somewhat. I think it's, it's the, the, the bigger, the biggest challenge for me into moving into Marvel is that I wasn't sure of how their editorial worked, how um, uh, I think also 
a lot of these characters were new to me. Mm. So reference wise, looking up the, the, the colors, all that kind of stuff. And so, um, but as far as working with other talent, it just kind of was more of the same, just with different, <laughs> with different <laughs> talent, different characters. Uh, and so I, I really kind of uh, made a conscious decision that with Marvel, I was just going to bring my thing and hope that they would like it. Uh, and and uh, I'm very lucky that that they they did like what I was doing. They kept sending me stuff, and they still are to this day. And 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 so it's it's been a cool transition because it's it's brought that little spark back to me that uh, you know I'm working on characters I've never worked on before. I've been in the industry for 29 years now, and so to be able to say, oh yeah, there's a whole new universe that I get to play with now that I hadn't before. Uh, it's such a cool, it's such a great feeling. Yeah, and it's great to see your your spectacular colors over there, kind of on the, on the other side of the street. Uh, another <laughs> thing that that's interesting to me, so it, it's it's really easy for kind of the casual comic fan to see different styles in terms of of pencilers and and inkers to some extent. Although it seems like there's fewer inkers now, everybody's going straight from you know digital pencils to to the colors, which is a whole other conversation. But I feel like there's a little bit less knowledge of of the different styles of of color artists because not everybody can color anything. Uh, you know, some people are better at kind of the more primary superhero kind of stuff. Some other people are, are better at sort of the dark moody horror kind of things. And there's everything um, in between, you know, you yourself, you've been around for 29 years, you've done it all, but um, do you feel like, like color artists are, are a little more well-known they're, they're getting a little more recognition now that we're going straight from digital pencils right to the colors. Yeah. And I think some of us are still coloring over like pencils, pencils, like mm -hmm. boards, scan boards with inks. Right. And so uh, I think that the uh, colorists do have a lot more respect. They're a lot more, um, I think they're, they're noticed more than they were in the past, especially early on as, as we were making the transition to digital. Uh, we were doing the transitions in that uh, we, at, at Wildstorm, we had Joe Chido doing color guides and then, digital colorists were just interpreting those guides using Photoshop. Mm -hmm. uh, and it, it was a few years before we were kind of uh, like Joe decided he didn't want to do it anymore. And, and they just kind of let us go and just go straight to color. Mm -hmm. uh, so some of us were allowed to, to just color straight up on uh, directly onto the computer. And so that, that step in between with the gut, with the guides was, was dropped and we just went straight in and, and, and became, you know, like full fledged colorists. Yeah. Now, again, not to date you, but you'd been doing this so long that you were doing it, you know, before everything went digital. I mean, a, it, I mean, when you think back, the, the technology and what you're able to do now, it's, it's, it amazes me, you know, the, the effects, you know, how, how like lightning or blasts of energy or planets or space. I mean, is that fun for you that the fact that it's so much easier now and, and quicker and, and you can do more effects? Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously, it's such a big jump uh, palette-wise. We went from uh, 378 colors to millions of colors. Mm -hmm. We were able to manipulate the ink layer, the, the inks themselves, and colorize. And like you mentioned, the special effects, the glows, the explosions. We, we were kind of able to go more to the um, ILM side of things if we're still making that, uh, that comparison to movies where uh, we went from filming with a little 8 millimeter to you know, digital cameras with ILM doing some backup 
work and that kind of stuff where where we were able to push things in and obviously these guys like like Jim and Mark Silvestri and 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 Rob Liefeld were were bringing in uh artists to learn how to paint digitally uh and which which allowed their stuff to really ex- excel and stand out in the stand in the stands yeah and the other thing that's great with with you know and you mentioned it how uh, colorists color artists are are more well known you get a little more recognition now uh you know it used to be at a show you know color artists everybody man eh, maybe you stop by the table maybe maybe you don't man at san diego you always have a crowd uh whenever yeah. you have a signing you know at the dc booth there's there's a line you know and granted you know you're usually doing it with some other people but it's it's great to see you getting the recognition because your work has been fantastic for so so long oh, well, i appreciate that and i appreciate the fans really the uh, it, it, you know they are who we do this for and and they are the reason we have this job and so uh i think conventions uh i'm glad the conventions are back i'm glad because it, that connection with the fans is such a great one I, I do love attending conventions and and getting to meet the folks who read our books you know you you sit at home hour after hour doing all this stuff and sometimes you want to say yeah well, i wonder who's buying this book right uh, and it's cool when they that particular book that you were thinking about back then someone brings it up and and, and puts it in front of you to sign and 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 uh, so it's, it's, it's cool. It's cool to see that, 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 you know, colors have a following now. They, they, you know, the, the fan base is great. Yeah. Now in terms of following, what about uh, other color artists who, who are coming up? Do you have people that, that reach out to you or ask you questions at cons and whatnot? They're, they're trying to get their foot in the door and, and kind of learn uh, how this is all done. Some do uh, some, some of the up and coming uh, colorists do show me their portfolio uh, whether it's at conventions, sometimes they reach uh, reach out to me through Instagram or Facebook or, or Twitter, and they just want to show me some samples. and And I try to do my best to to look at as much as I can uh, because I, I've been on the other side of the table mm-hmm. uh, asking, "Hey, can you tell me what I need to work on? What works? What doesn't? And all that stuff." And uh, so I, I do my best. Um, you know, there's so many young talented colors out there right now and it's it's great to see um the the sp- specialty really grow uh and and these young guns are always pushing the us old dinosaurs <laughs> to, <laughs> to to keep up and to to uh, keep improving our, our our trade yeah and obviously every everybody's different you know in terms of color artists what they're good at what the you know what, what their kind of talent might might lend to in terms of tone you know, like we're talking about before superhero horror, that kind of thing. Uh, but just in general, because uh, we have so many people that listen to the podcast that are aspiring creators, and maybe somebody wants to go down the, the path of, of being a color artist. If, if they haven't been exposed to it at all, they're, they're really just on step one. Um, what are a couple of things that you would uh, kind of mention to somebody, you know, if they're, they're maybe looking to explore, hey, maybe that's something I would be interested in. Where's a good place to start? I think you first and foremost need to study art. Uh, the successful artists, the good artists are, are well-rounded artists as well. So uh, paint, try painting different, using different mediums. Luckily we have, you know, multiple digital meet, uh, applications now. When, when I got started, it was Photoshop and it was a very, very uh, rudimentary version of Photoshop. It was version, when I started it was version 2.0. So if we're wow. dating me again, that, that, that that's how old I am. I'm almost older than Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but nowadays you have, you know, Clip Studio, you have uh, uh, Procreate, you have all these different venues so that um, 
it's not as expensive. It's 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 more accessible through not just your computer, but your your iPad, um, your phone. So you can do all kinds of different things. And so it, it it's the excuse of I don't have access to that kind of stuff is is gone. And so I'm my advice would be just try pick one and try it. And if you don't like it, try a different one. Much like. I tried, you know, oil painting and I hated painting in oil and acrylic was better, but I loved watercolor. Mm -hmm. It takes you doing it for a little bit to realize, okay, don't like one that that's much, but I love this one and I like that one. And, and, and so try as many different mediums as you can. It'll make you a better artist. Um, it'll make you a more well-rounded artists. And then finally, if, if you really think the colors is your thing, color someone else's work because that's the nature of the of the job is that uh, it's you're not coloring your own art you're not coloring your own pencils or inks you're coloring someone else and that allows you to focus just on the color side of things uh it also keeps you from having to fix your penciling and inking errors in the color stage and so that you can focus on just the mood the palette the you know the different things that we've already spoken about uh coloring over someone else's work will force you to to to, to just do color yeah. And I see that all the time on, on Twitter where people will put work up uh, just pencils, you know, usually digital pencils. And then some, you know, people will come back in the replies and say, Oh, I colored it, you know, and, and oftentimes the artists are like, Oh, you know, that looks great. And, you know, it's a good interaction and a way to, to kind of network as well. Yep. Yep. Agree. Yeah. I think that's probably the, my biggest question or the biggest advice I always give is like, don't color your own work. Don't color your own work, color someone else. I think it'll, it'll, you'll end up borrowing, little things from, from the artists that you're coloring. I mean, I've been fortunate enough to work with some of these, the greats in the industry and, and my art has improved as a result of, of working with these artists and that, that I'm kind of seeing how they tackle, how they interpret. And when it comes to me drawing my own stuff, I tend to borrow from them a little mm -hmm. bit. So my drawing style has been heavily influenced by all these artists that I've been, that, that I've colored over. Yeah, that's fantastic. Well, uh, let, let's have you uh, color something for us. Let's take, take us sure. through your process here. Sure, sure. So um, one of the things that uh, people always bring to me to sign or the, uh, and ask me to sign is, is Jim's X-Men work. And uh, unfortunately, I was actually not, I was still a fan when Jim was working on X-Men and, and I have to turn folks away. But uh, recently, I was able to get a hold of some of the scans that were created for the uh, Jim Lee's X-Men Artist Edition. Mm. Uh, that IW uh, put out. And so uh, one of the things that we're going to do today is we're going to do an X-Men cover by Jim and Scott Williams. Yeah, right. and that's, so wow. that's awesome. And so, you know, who doesn't love Wolverine and Gambit, you know, uh, one of Jim's creations and one of the characters that Jim made uh, really famous during his run on the, on the book. And, and um, uh, I love that the the scan exists with everything on it right the the logo the uh the 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 price box everything is still there and, and you can still even see a little bit of the, the cast shadows from the little cutouts when they were putting the box together oh yeah they cut they cut out the little heads and so i, I tried to go in there and erase some of it but i i do want to leave some of it there because it's such a cool nostalgic thing about the the piece um and uh talking about the way i kind of set things up is is I work in RGB. So you'll kind of see over here on the upper right, as it says that, that uh, uh, some, some artists work in CMYK. Uh, some of us work in RGB. I've 
one of the the, the colorists that work in RGB. If you work on an iPad, your work's always going to be on, in RGB as well. And so um, back in the day, we chose to work in RGB over CMYK because that was one less channel of color we had to worry about. Mm. That was eight bits of information less per page we had to worry about. And the machines back then were slow. Right. <laughs> we're talking the phone that I'm using to talk to you as a better processor than the computer right. I was using to color back then. And so to save ourselves, you know, not only um, physical file size, but um, processing speed, um, we worked, we worked in RGB. And, and so what we do is um, what I do is I said that the file is, is basically a blank piece of paper and the inks kind of float above it. On a separate channel, uh, some folks use a separate layer for the inks, and that's that's much easier to do nowadays because that's the um, that's the way it's uh, uh, the the machines are much faster; they can accept all the information, and so that we work at that at that at that uh, multiple layers um, to help do that. Uh, layers weren't a thing with Photoshop; they didn't exist back then either. So we were stuck with alpha channels and so that's kind of the reason why we went with that route as well. And for me, it's, it's you get so used to the method and the, and the format that that's this, the way I'm coloring now is very much like the, 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 the format that we developed back then. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and, and the first stage of coloring is, is call it the flatting as it's called. And, and it's basically just selecting areas and filling them with, flat color, and that's why it's called flatting. Uh, it's at this stage where I kind of start to decide what colors I'm going to drop in and where. Uh, sometimes I, I tend to just pick a color and drop it in, and then as I go, I change my mind just to see how the, the colors that I'm picking will interact. Uh, I'm going to come in here and very quickly get rid of some of these kind of ghosted blue line pencils that were in there. Uh, and yeah, then and now literally... Now, some uh, some color artists they they employ somebody to do the flatting for them, right? Uh, like somebody yes. who's, who's who's learning. Do you not do you, do you prefer to do your own flatting, or does it just depend? Uh, it depends on how tight my deadline is. Uh, for interiors, I tend to use uh, a flatter because uh, if I average about a page, uh, an hour per page uh, on a twenty-two page book, I'm going to save myself twenty-two hours worth of work. Yeah, and right. so I do. I do. I do have a, a couple flatters that I use uh, and employ regularly for my interior work. For the covers, I, I it's kind of like my my uh, break from just rendering. Mm. Uh, it's also like I mentioned uh, with covers, you really want to uh, create something that's going to jump off the shelves. And so as as I'm doing the flatting, I'm 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 starting to kind of think about. The, the palette that I'm going to use, what I'm going to use for the background. Um, it's kind of like a, a getting to know or getting intimate with the art um, as I do it to help me um, determine what, what, uh, what look I'm going to use. Uh, it helps me also think about the story that, that's being told within the book and, and what, I, what I can do with the cover to help basically sell the book. Gotcha. Yeah, I, I recently saw somebody, I can't, I wish I remembered who it was, but yeah, they, they basically had a, an image on social media that was flatted 
and and maybe a, you know a little bit more than just the, the kind of the basic flat colors but i thought it looked great you know i'm like okay well and then they had uh it was kind of a time lapse and it was sped up very quickly and within like a three minute video they put in all the shading and all the shadows for the you know muscles and the nose and the you know light sources and all that and i think you don't realize because i think your mind and correct me if i'm wrong here i think your mind sort of tries to put those things in automatically because that's what we're used to seeing in reality right but, but when you looked at that video at the first image and then if you just you know scrolled it all the way to the end image it it so clearly <laughs> was much more realistic and more impactful. It, it was amazing. And I, I never stopped to, to think about how important the rendering, it, you know, just putting color on something obviously adds some kind of emotion to it, but it's that rendering stage where I, I think it really comes to life. Right. And the flat stage, basically what comics used to be like, what comic coloring used to be like, where they, mm -hmm. they literally had just flat tones, uh, and, and it may be on cover, so you got a couple kind of gradients here and there. And you might even get a color hold where they took the, the inclines and changed them to a, a different color. That was like, ooh, you know, if your book was selling real, real well, you, you had that luxury. And, and so uh, seeing it at the flat stage kind of gives you um, an insight into the limitations of, of what coloring used to be. Um, and so, uh, and an appreciation of what we can do now as well. And, and, and and so, uh, you know, it does, it's not lost on me. And the reason why I still flat things is it's, it's, it's still part of the process. So, you know, kind of feel like I'm above flatting, if you will. And so this is kind of how I work my way. I work my way foreground the background uh, and in large chunks. And so it's easier to, to separate the, the elements by slowly selecting them. Um, I use a method that I feel is, is cleaner. And so what I just do is I just use the, the lasso tool and the bucket tool to select and fill in spaces. Um, uh, some folks use the magic wand and so they'll, they'll select the, the gaps or the spaces in between, say for the claws, you could click inside and click inside and click inside. The only problem is, is you get art where there's openings in the art. And so mm. that the, using that magic wand is gonna uh, force you to use the lasso tool anyway. And so that I'm just kind of skipping that step and going straight to, to this. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> now, you know, obviously we're, you know, you're working on this Jim Lee piece and, and you know, you, you've, as we said, worked with Scott and Jim for, for many, many years, and you've probably gotten this question before, but I, I don't know that I've ever heard an answer. Maybe you don't have one because it's like asking to pick a favorite child, but is there, is there a favorite project that you've done? Is it something you did with, with Jim and, uh, and Scott, or uh, is it something else? Well, I, I do get that asked and, and, and it is hard to pick, especially after so many years of, of working together. Uh, I think uh, obviously Hush was definitely something that was, that's very special to all three of us, mm -hmm. all four of us, if you include Jeff right. um, uh, as well, the writer. And so that uh, it's probably the project that we're known for the most. It's probably the project uh, for me, especially that I signed the most, uh, I think with Jim and Scott, the, the, the X-Men uh, 
number one book is probably the book that they've signed the most of in their careers. Because uh, I still see them, people still bring that book for them to sign, even though it's been out for for so many years. Um, yeah. You would think at this point they've signed them all. <laughs> well, you right. Well, and I think it's like the world record of most published books, like yeah, single think, issue. Yeah, something it's, like 8 million or something ridiculous right. like that. So you'd think that by now they've signed all eight million. <laughs> but I still see every convention never fails. There's always a stack of them that show up. So there's there's still there's still a book out there without their signature in it. I think I have some of them in my garage. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's cool that that hush uh, means a lot to you because I know it, it means a lot to to Jim. Uh, I've heard him uh, talk about it before on on his spotlight panels, and I've I've talked to him about it personally. Um, you know, that was the, the book that kind of brought him back into, you know, doing a monthly doing pencils. And, you know, he was kind of like, can I still do this? Do I still got it? You know, he was trying to, to prove it, I, I think, to not only to the naysayers who said he couldn't do a monthly book anymore, but a little bit to himself. So uh, I think it's great that, that that's a personal project for you that means a lot as well. Yeah, I mean, we definitely were. It was a monthly book that came out monthly. Uh, and it was done very smartly. Uh, DC was very smart in how they handled it and that they allowed Jim to draw uh, a few issues ahead before they even solicited, before even people knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Even within DC, Jim was already a few issues into the book. I mean, I think by the time I started coloring the first issue, Jim was drawing number eight. Oh, wow. Of, of 12. So he was way ahead of us. Uh, uh, well, definitely way ahead of me. Uh, Scott was kind of on his tail. I think Scott was about an issue behind um, uh, Jim. And so uh, it, it served a great purpose in, in that uh, Jim, like I said, was um, was way ahead and, and was able to stay ahead of the, the schedule. Um, but on those days when you had like a, a rough night and you just finished turning in, you know, an issue and you're a little burnt out, just kind of went and looked at what he'd already drawn for the next issue or two. And you're like, okay. And your inspiration just kind of clicked right back on. Um, Wow. That's cool. uh, And I know Scott says he, he, the same thing with him where he was a little burnt out. All he had to do was go, go see what, what Jim had done for the next issue. Uh, And it was very easy to, to get inspired to, to pick up the next one. Yeah. And then you guys went from that to the, into that uh, run on Superman, which I, as much as I love Hush, Superman's my favorite character. So for me, that's the, the that's the one I feel like that gets a little over your, you know, and the, the run on Superman was a little shorter, but I feel like that one doesn't get talked about enough. That was uh, fantastic. Yeah. For tomorrow was, was a, a transition where we kind of went from, um, I think for the three of us, Batman was our favorite character. So that the three of us working together uh, and that was the first time we worked together exclusively exclusively just the three of us mm-hmm. uh, prior to that uh, anything that Jim would draw in Scott would ink we would have a team of colorists um, work on that so divine right uh, even the the first few like from issue five and on of wildcats um, that uh, we had a a, a a very large coloring department at wildstorm and so what we would do is the top four or five of us that, that worked there, I got to do Jim's books. Mm. Uh, and so when, when they were working on Hush, they decided they, they just wanted to have 
one specific colorist on it. And, and luckily they, they asked me if I if I'd be interested in, in being the one to do so. Uh, and I, of course said, yes, hmm. who wouldn't. Right. Exactly. Now is that, uh, does that kind of speak to what we were talking about earlier that each color artist, you know, kind of works in a different way and, and their work's going to have, you know, a little bit of its own flavor and they wanted to keep some cons- consistency. Yeah. And I, I think that was it, right. They, they, they really, by then, um, cause we're talking about the, the early two thousands by then, um, a lot of the colors were st- starting to, to work on their own projects. I had been working on, uh, on Harley Quinn with, um, with Terry and Rachel Dodson. Mm. Uh, and, and that's the work that they looked at that, that they looked to as a, Hey, we want you to, we like what you've been doing on Harley Quinn. What you, you know, you're interested in, in doing this Batman series with us. Um, and so I think that they saw the, the benefits of having just one, one vision as a, as a colorist um, throughout the book, as opposed to, to a team of colorists. Yeah. And then I think it also, like you were saying earlier, it helps to foster that shorthand that you're, you're talking about, right? Like I, I imagine that Scott can, at this point, if you guys were to, you know, work on a project and correct me if I'm wrong, it might not necessarily matter who the, the penciler is, Mm-hmm. Scott can still do little shortcuts because he knows that you're going to fix it in the color stage. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. There's, and there's things that they'll leave for me to do. And, 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 and same with, with the pencil to ink stage, Jim will have um, like shorthand of, of something. And, and that, that Scott, he doesn't really write notes for Scott trust what Scott's going to do as, a, as far as interpreting his pencils and turning them into um Uh, in, into the, the final piece. Yeah. And what's, I, what's interesting. So on, on uh, Jim's channel, I guess it's been a couple of years now because, you know, time has become meaningless as we're all locked in our houses. But uh, a couple of years ago, I think it was on Jim's Twitch channel because Scott's getting more into doing his own pencils and covers and whatnot, which is great to see. Jim inked one of Scott's pieces, which was a, uh, which was a whole heck of a lot of fun to see uh, kind of <laughs> yeah. role reversal. <laughs> yeah, that was a cool thing. I mean, I think some fans are like, well, why don't you guys even do some, take it further and have Alex draw something. And then <laughs> I'm like, uh, I think I'm okay staying in my lane. for now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely my, my drawing chops aren't as strong as, as Jim and Scott's um, one of these days. I do have, um, Back in the day when we were creating, we were creating all kinds of products when we were at Wildstorm. Uh, so, you know, like pinup books, swimsuit issues, and trading card sets. Uh, I drew a trading card and Jim inked over my pencils. Uh, and the card was never used. Uh, uh, but I got to keep the artboard. And so I can say that I've been inked by Jim. <laughs> wow, that's cool. <laughs> what, what character? Is it a character we would know? It's Amp from Wildcats. Oh, okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was, it was such a cool, uh, uh, you know, it's funny because I don't remember sketching it out or anything like that. I just remember drawing it and then, uh, and then say, saying, Hey Jim, would you be interested in, in inking my card? You know, <laughs> and he did, we turned it in. And I think, I think 
it, he turned it in late and that's why it wasn't used. Gotcha. But I still got to keep, still got to keep it. Yeah. Still, still definitely worth, worth the uh, effort you put out to, to draw it. Most definitely. All right. And I think what I'm going to do at this point is I'm going to kind of stop the flatting at this point and just focus on say like Wolverine and then we'll start rendering Wolverine too. So you can kind of, um, so you can kind of see the, the full process. Gotcha. Uh, yeah. Cause it, it's going to take a little bit longer to, um, to finish the whole piece in flats. Um, now, Alex, how, how important is it to, you know, you, you mentioned if you want to be a, a color artist or you think you might be interested to, to kind of learn the basics uh, of, of, you know, art, figure drawing, that kind of thing. How important is, is color theory? Um, I mean, do you, do you actually use that or is it just second nature these days and you don't really have to, to think about it anymore? Um, it's become second nature, but it's definitely the, the most important uh, of the lessons that I, that I learned. I mean, I took color theory in college and, and, and that class helped me a ton. It definitely helps you understand um, the, the, the relationships between the colors and how you can use them to, to help pop elements um, and from each other and, and, and accentuate different things uh, for mood, of course, all that kind of stuff that comes out of, of color theory. And so even though I don't, um, specifically call things out as I'm coloring every day, I'm definitely using color theory. And it's, it's more of a, uh, much like a, a, you know, Jim uses anatomy on a daily basis. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's just kind of like that, that muscle that we flex every day uh, that, you know, it, it's become second nature to us because we use it uh, on a daily basis. And so uh, definitely color theory for colorists uh, is, is one of the main, the main things that you need to know that I would recommend that if, 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 if your local college, uh, your local uh, community college is offering a color theory class, take it. Now, take it because it'll, it'll give you so many. Um, and it's funny because each teacher brings a different thing to the table. And, and I, I think that's something that you want to um, explore. Yeah. And you're talking about, you know, something that's foundational that you'll, you'll build on yourself as you develop your own style. Correct. Now, uh, Forgive my ignorance, because again, I, I'm not an artist at all. Um, has color theory evolved at all since you've been, uh, you know, since you've, you've become an artist or ha has it pretty much, because I just wonder the fact that so often now we're looking at these comics or reading these comics on a digital screen, which is brighter as opposed to like you were mentioning uh, the old newsprint where everything was, was flatted. Right. Um, it's not that it's evolved, but it's been, it, I mean, it's something, it's like a, it's a concept that just adapts to the art itself. And so um, uh, the principles of our color theory will remain the same. It's just how you use them uh, when you can, uh, it's like knowing the rules to the game, but you know, there's times when you can break the rules to make the game more interesting um, and so that, that, that's something that, you know, knowing your color theory allows you to, to decide when you're not going to follow that specific concept to create, uh, a, uh, a, a, a like a, a special moment or to make something pop because it's different than what the, the, uh, you know, what you would normally see if you were using a color theory to the, to the, to the letter. 
of the of that specific you know rule or law if you will gotcha yeah well uh, and then then the other thing about doing this digitally right is uh, as opposed to when you first started out if you do make a mistake or you decide something's not working it's a lot easier to go back and and fix it right like let me try that maybe maybe try orange let me try different shade of yellow or whatnot yep yep you know multiple induce are a, a main part of photoshop now and many other programs and it's again something that photoshop didn't have when we when i first started working on photoshop we had one undo so that if you accidentally were like i was just selecting multiple things if i accidentally double clicked i would lose all the selecting I had done before. And so we were very mindful of, of when uh, <laughs> when we were working on it and saving a lot more in between steps because we knew we couldn't, uh, we didn't have that as many uh, undos. All right. So this is kind of where I'm going to leave Wolverine at. Um, this is, I think, things that back then, things you couldn't do is, is you know, add a second kind of layer of coloring of detail. So when I see stuff like this, that Jim throws down uh, his, his attention to detail and realism is just so solid that I like to go in and, um, and add to it by making sure that the buckles are, you know, a different color because it's a different material. And so that it's, it's a metallic piece there. And, and so it's going to carry a different color on it. Well, then it helps to call out those details that you're otherwise you're you might miss correct so i've been a, a big fan of, of doing that kind of stuff like uh with batman's pouches the, the the buckles the the buttons on the pouches of the utility belt um all that stuff uh i always wanted to add more detail to that all right so I'm going to go ahead and duplicate the layer so that I can go in here. And then so one of the things I'll do is, is, is either create a duplicate layer so that I have one layer that's just flat. Mm -hmm. uh, the other thing you can do is you can create a, um, a flat channel. And so that carries less information. And that's something we used to do back then. Again, because of the, the memory constraints and the, the speed of the computer constraint, we would create the flat channel um, as a... That's an alpha channel like this. Gotcha. Yeah. And then we would literally call it flat. And so that allows me to, to still be able to use the, the magic wand um, to select different elements for editing purposes. So once I render, if the editor come back, comes back and says, hey, that blue is not the right blue for the X-Men or whatever, you know, um, it, it allows for me to kind of go in here in the flat channel and just select it. And again, having it as one gray channel uses less, you know, digital information, uh, memory and space uh, to, to save it. Which yeah, that's so, that's so interesting to me, removing those, those lines, you know, whether they're, they're pencil or ink, I would think that doing that, going back to the idea of, of color theory, you know, removing the, you know, the blacks of the, of the inks or the, the pen, digital pencil lines, that's a way to know, okay, am I doing this the right way? You know, for somebody starting out, am I sure that none of these colors are clashing is, you know, is it working? Is it harmonious? Right. 
right? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 for a lot of us, it's become, like I said, second like issue, just kind of go with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, initially, yeah, you'll kind of second guess yourself. Or if it's a really complex piece, uh, I'll save it in different stages and, and go back and forth to make sure that uh, everything's popping the same way. Uh, you'll see me do that a lot in, in like multiple covers where it's a triptych or, or, or four piece cover. And then I want to make sure that, you know, cause with those, the, the image has to work as a whole and it's four individual images as well. And so you just got to make sure that, 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 that you're able to, to edit it on the back end to make sure that the right things are, are popping. Gotcha. All right. And so we're going to go in here. I'm going to now, now that it's flatted uh, and this is the reason why we have flats is, is um, uh, I can just use the magic one tool now and, and simply just click uh, click on this the skin and it selects all of it um, gotcha and uh, much like painting I start with a medium color and I'll start to add um, I'll add a little bit of, of shadow work uh, and uh, again with the basics of art as, as you treat the head as as a simple element and then you start start to carve in the, the details of the anatomy into them. And so, like I said, I kind of start with that. I'm going to add a little bit more shadow here. Yeah, that this this process for me is always the, the one that's, I don't want to say mysterious because I, I understand the, the theory behind it, but I, I guess I just, I don't have the knowledge of where the shadows would, would go. I mean, obviously I, I'm not blind and I see in real yeah. life people have these sort of shadows based on where the light source is coming from. But I always find it fascinating that you guys know, like based on where the light source is, how the shadows would fall across, you know, the face or the chin or the jaw or the neck. Uh, and that just comes from experience, right? Just from doing it and, and reference. Right. Right. So it's, it's the, in the, 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 the uh, familiarity of doing it so much that um you know when when you're in college they they have you do self-portraits a lot and to the point where you're like man if i have to paint my face one more time i'm gonna kill somebody (laughs) but you know that all comes into play now because that's all i do every day i really render faces multiple faces every day and and so you know much as i hated it it really helped um uh, pave the way for this so it makes it a lot easier for me to be able to to come in and do this kind of work and we're going to add a little bit of this green uh, on the background to the, to the skin tone because uh, we're going to reflect this, this power that's coming in here. And again, it's, it's, it's stuff that um, using this reflective lighting is something that's very, very much a comic book thing. Uh, but if you look to uh, guys like Van Gogh, it's something that they used back then that, uh, that they experimented with and, and, and used in their work that when you look at it now, you're like, oh my God, imagine this, you know, 100, 150 years ago, these guys saw this and were using it in their work. Well, it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, the, the basics of, of color theory. You know, a lot of the art theory is, you know, the basics are the basics and they're, they're that way for a reason. And it kind of brings me to my next point, which is we've seen a huge surge in original comic art in, in the value of it. And it's like, 
okay, finally, like people are realizing that this stuff is, it's, it's amazing what, you know, people like Jim and Scott and yourself are, are able to do. And it's, it's great that it's finally being recognized as, uh, as works of art, not just, you know, funny books or for kids or, or what have you. Correct. Yeah. It's great that it's being recognized as, as art now, nowadays. And so it's, it's cool to see um, that these guys are, uh, that the art, the original, like you said, the original art sales have just skyrocketed as far as the, the pricing of the art um, to the point where these guys are like, Oh, really? I can get that much for it. <laughs> so I think, you know, each piece uh, that you own, it's like, well, no, no, I'm never going to sell this. And then <laughs> It comes to like, wait, how much do they say they would pay for it? You're like, oh, maybe yeah. I can part with it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, uh, I think I saw some of Jim's uh, X-Men pages, as a matter of fact, there might have been covers that went for crazy amounts. And Scott was like, oh, yeah, I, I sold that back in the day for like 500 bucks. Oh, I went, know. You know, it went for, I don't know, 100,000 or some, some ridiculous, like a house. It went for the amount of a house, you know. <laughs> it's just, right. It's, yeah. it's all about the timing of it, much like anything else, right? Yeah. It's like, oh, I would never pay that for that, but I'm I'm happy to take your money for that price. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right. Yeah, and so, so that can... as I'm kind of working through, I'm 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 going past now to the to other elements of the of the piece and the always keeping the, the lighting consistent. The light source that I'm using is consistent. The reflective light source also comes into play um, and very heavily influences what I'm doing. Now, do you use uh, custom brushes? That that's something that Photoshop uh, allows for, right? Yeah, and so over the years, I've amassed. Uh, you can kind of see my brushes are. I'm kind of scrolling through most of the, the brushes that I use. Uh, I don't use all of these all the time, but uh, these first kind of 24 here that I've singled out are the ones that I use the most. Mm. Um, and so uh, they're a combination of of default brushes that I've that I've altered the uh, custom brushes that I've built uh, and also brushes that I've purchased from other artists and either use them as I purchased them or, or I've altered since I purchased them and then kind of made them my own as well. Uh, so yeah. how, how do you decide when you, when you think you might need something new, is it just based on the composition of the piece? So you don't have anything that quite works. And so it's sort of trial and error. Yeah, it's, it's one of those, you know, uh, as I'm working on a series, I realize that oh, I'm going to need more texture brushes for leaves or for bushes or for grass. And so if I don't have the time to build it, I'll look out there. Uh, and sometimes it's, it's I, I looked at somebody's work and, and I see a specific kind of brush and go, oh, that's actually really cool. I could use that for my work on, you know, Astro City. And so that I'll, I'll seek out that brush set to, to buy that set or, or the artist and ask them um, if, if it's something they purchased or they built on their own. And, and, um, and if I do have the time, I kind of like the troubleshooting of it, trying to figure it out on my own with the hopes that I can build something that way. Uh, the, the brush engine on Photoshop is, is so sophisticated nowadays that it's very easy to create a brush out of anything. Now, would you say somebody starting out that's, that's not something they necessarily need to, to worry about, right? Like don't bite off more than you can chew again, go with the basics, make sure you have your right. basics down first. Right. Yeah. Just, just color using basic brushes um, and, and paint like you would with a brush, right? Like a brush brush. Mm -hmm. uh, Cause they don't sell 
a grass brush that you can like, right. dip in the paint and hey look there's grass yeah <laughs> which is something that's that's very much a photoshop thing uh again it'll make you a better artist if, when you can when you can create grass on your own it that then you've you know graduated to okay i'm gonna use a grass brush that throws six blades at a time instead of one at a time right much like kind of i'm doing here with the hair uh i have a brush that that simulates um, uh, a bunch of little strands of hair or fur, and then uh, use it as like kind of the initial layer and then going on top of it and adding a little bit more detail to it. So again, this is the process that I just, I just love. I've, I've watched um, uh, Rochelle Rosenberg do, you know, she once in a while, she'll put it up on her Instagram or she'll do one. And so I wouldn't have thought there was anything wrong with the way his hair looked to me. It looked, it looked fine, but now it does. And, and it looked real, but now it looks even more real. And I wouldn't have again, thought to, to do that, to put in those kind of highlights. It's, it's fascinating to me what you guys are able to do. Yeah, it, it is. Like I said, you know, you, the, the, it's the, the process. It's cool to see it flat, but the, um, and, and at first um, I had gotten the inks for a separate cover that the Jim and Scott had done for X-Men. And, and you almost don't like want to touch it because you're, you know, it's almost like cheating. Like, cause back then we didn't have this and obviously the, there's going to be a more elaborate rendering than, than the original piece. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, you, you respect the artist who had to create a, a cover out of, you know, uh, uh, with a very limited set of tools. Yeah, just uh, it's it's fascinating to me. Uh, so here's another question that I want to ask you. Uh, we often hear uh, artists say, or, or I do, uh, pencilers talk about the things they hate to draw, right? Like you always hit cars are a big one, horses, and that's another big one I hear artists all the time. Feet. Yeah, feet, yeah, exactly. Feet. Uh, is there anything as, as a color artist that you just kind of cringe like, it, big crowd scenes or, or like underwater, like, is, is there anything as a color artist where you just go, man, I know that's going to take me forever. I really not, not a fan of having to color that. Um, a lot of it is kind of self created that, so that I like working uh, very realistic. And so that I'm going to go into a lot of detail. So things like rain are, are things that, that are hard to do, but, mm. but if you do it right, it really can sell a piece and it'll look great. Um, so I think uh, things like that for me, it's, it's, it's crowd scenes are tough and it's because again, I'm going to take, uh, that crowd of, of 50 people and not give them all the exact same skin tone. Uh, I worked with Joe Chido for, for many years and his, his mantra was like, don't give everybody the same skin color. It's going to make it look more realistic, mm -hmm. more natural. Uh, and so that's, uh, I'm going to go through. And be very, very conscious about, you know, making sure that uh, these 50 people, I'm going to use 30 skin tones. Uh, and it's just slight variations from one to the other. Uh, but then when you look at it, it looks like an actual crowd scene. And, and that's that's why I have that kind of mentality. And that's uh, something that Joe really instilled in me and, and also adds to that realism that that I like to go for every time. So those kind of scenes that you know are going to be a, a challenge, like rain or or a crowd scene, but 
in the end, if you do it right, it's that much more satisfaction if it, if it's done well. Yeah. Right. You conquered that, that one thing that, that, that's it's not necessarily something you hate, but it's, it's, it's a challenge. It's a big challenge. Yeah. Like and it then, seems tend to be hard to do as well. You want to make sure that, that you don't mix look stuff static as you're coloring it. You can very, very easily take, take an action scene and, and freeze it and you want to actually do the opposite. You want to keep that, that fluidity of the poses and the movement of the, of the figures. You want to make sure that you're accentuating that as, as you're working. Yeah. I mean, uh, here's the thing about comics, right? And I re was recently talking to Tom King about this. So much of what happens in comics is filled in. Well, they, they say it happens in the gutters, right? It happens between panels. Our brain has to fill in that movement because these are, static images and so the last thing you want your colors to do is is to feel flat and to not you know convey that sense of movement you want that dynamic sense of you know explosions and uh and, and emotion and 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 all of that and i think color is such an important part of that i agree i agree 100 i mean it's great with you know you bring guys like tom uh, who Again, they're writing with the art in mind, and I think they they're kind of visualizing it as well, and they're 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 kind of leaving a lot of room for the artist, but in their heads they're 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 seeing the whole process come to life, uh, and those are the I think the artists that have great success. I think that's why you know Hush was so successful is that Jeff wrote that to Jim's strengths to inspire Jim to want to draw this. Uh, each and every panel and so that jim just kind of jumped on it and, and kicked butt with every every panel of every page yeah but to, to your to your earlier point <laughs> so jeff inspires jim and then when you and scott were feeling burnout you then turned to jim who was inspired by jeff and then you guys yeah. re-energized so it's like it's it's such a collaborative process that it, it's like a relay race, you know, you're handing off that, that baton of, of energy, of, of excitement, of passion to, to do your best. Yeah. I think, and I think that's why the, a lot of people ask, did you know that Hush was going to be that successful? And you're like, no, well, we didn't know. We just knew that we were very happy and excited with what we were doing. That, that, you know, six, seven issues into it, we were still really jazzed, really excited to keep going with the next one. Uh, and, and thankfully that that translated to to the fans as well where they just kind of kept kept going at it with us yeah i mean you never really know until it's hits the stands the way people are gonna gonna react <laughs> and you never want to jinx it uh correct but when, yeah but when you guys are are like you said jazzed about it and, and uh and having fun and, and feeling that it's kind of lightning in a bottle something special that comes through that's additive to the work as well i mean I think it's part of the reason some of the creator-owned stuff that's coming out right now is so great because, you know, as much as you can be excited to work on X-Men or Spider-Man or Batman because it was your favorite character, and when it's your own creation, I think a lot of creators get even more passionate about it. You know, that's like that's their child <laughs> that they've brought. yeah, and uh, and it comes through. And we, I think, as fans and as readers, we we can tell and we have more fun uh, experiencing it. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. When you're working on your own baby, it, it definitely has like a different feel to it. Uh, there's, there's almost like a, 
like a pause. I don't want to rush to this. Uh, I, I really want to take my time. I really want to kind of dot all the I's and cross all the T's and make sure that everything's spot on. Um, so um, definitely working on, on your own material is, is so satisfying because, the, you know, you're putting everything you're putting out there is, is coming from you directly. Mm -hmm. uh, and like you said, it's not someone else's character, someone else's property. It's all you. Now, when you're at this stage, uh, Alex, where you're, you're kind of adding shadows and highlights. And I mean, again, this is just from experience. You, you can just tell, you know, with your experience, I, okay, I'm, I'm missing something here. This looks a little flat and this needs to be a little darker here. Yeah. So I'm kind of looking at the, at, at this glove, how it's a little bit flat. I need to make it look a little more round so that it pops mm. a little bit more. And so that I'm going to deepen the shadow so that it, disappears behind this part of the of the hand gotcha and and that creates that space that the spatial relationship between the two kind of gets uh, uh established and do you ever go back and look at your work after it's published and realize that you you missed a detail like that does that sort of thing happen? yeah i've seen stuff like oh forgot to render that backpack and oh that's flat still it's like dang it um yeah, it's happened quite a bit. And so when that happens, it's like, hey, can I send you a new version of this page for the for the collected edition, for the hardcover, for the trade paperback, for whatever? Because I know at some point it'll get reproduced in one way or another. And so we're always kind of, and it's become that too, where um, it, it, sometimes we're working on there's such a tight deadline that it gets done. And then afterwards we're like, ah, oh, no, we forgot to do this. And so that we're very mindful in, Hey, let's make sure that we we go back and, and fix that for wow, the collective that, edition. I, I I mean I, I knew you were passionate about your work, but I mean that to me that really speaks to your integrity. The fact you've been doing this for thirty years, and if you see something wrong, you you know in a future edition, hey, if we can fix this, we'll fix it. I mean that that that's definitely taking pride in your work. Well, we have to. I mean, we're of the mind. My name's on it. I want to make sure that when people pick it up, they they you know, that they're happy with every facet of it, not just because I colored it. I think, you know, I've always been brought up that way. I mean, as an artist, if my name's on it, I want it to look the best that it can. Uh, with digital nowadays, it's, it's also that I can fix it for the digital version and it'll be updated in, a, in two weeks. Right, right. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying before uh, about doing crowd seeds or or rain or things like that that are challenging. And once you've, once you've done it, you have that much more confidence to, to do it the next time. But even at, at 30, 29, 30 years in the industry, you're still challenging yourself. You're, you're still trying to get better. You're still trying to learn new techniques. You know, you mentioned looking at what some of the things other people are doing, other color artists, brushes and techniques and, and whatnot, constantly refilling your, your tank of ideas. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, like as with anything else, I think we're kind of a product of as artists, we're product of, of the other artists around us and what influences it. And so I'm always kind of mindful of, of who's coloring what and what are they working on. And especially if they're working on an artist that I would love to work with, it's one of those things you just kind of keep those in mind because, um, you know, you, you see what they're doing that's working with that particular artist because down the line, if I fight, if I have 
the opportunity to work with them. I know what other folks have done and what's worked and what I would kind of change just to make it a, a new experience for the artist too. I don't want to, I don't want to um, uh, Xerox, if you will, right. the, the, the style, uh, because, you know, what's the point that you might as well just stuck with the other colorist and gotten the exact same look. Now, I won't put you on the spot and ask you to, to name any of the, the artists that you, you hope to work with in, in the future, but just in general, what are some of the things that, uh, you know, for an artist you haven't worked with, what are some of the things that, it, that you know, creates that desire to, to work with them? Is it just that they render in a different style, their, their pencils are different than anything you've worked with before? You know, what is it that, that uh, kind of makes you want to work with a particular artist? I think it's the the energy of their work, um, uh, especially the younger artists, right? They bring a kind of a different feel to it. There's a lot of really strong young artists right now that work digitally and it's cool to kind of see how they add to their artwork. And, and um, I'm working with uh, Rafa Sandoval on Titans Academy and he works digitally and it's, and, and it's kind of a new challenge in that, uh, he's delivering files with multiple layers and then I kind of have to peel them back and then put them back together and then add the color so that I'm, I'm respecting what he's doing. And then, but also kind of making it work for me too. Mm. Uh, and so that we're seeing a, 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 a lot of the younger artists are, are going full digital uh, with their work. It's kind of, kind of cool to see it because some of us are just sticklers for the, the classic look with the uh, with the uh, with the paper uh, the scans right um, that we want to keep it we can keep the the old school style alive that doesn't die so you know working with guys like like Jim and Scott or Terry and Rachel Dotson where they're still working with paper it's such a cool it's a cool thing to hold it scan it and you know like gawk at it and i think part of my favorite parts of working with jim and scott is is holding that original piece uh, and seeing the the monster amount of detail that was put into each piece yeah i mean i i'm of two minds about it myself i mean i love traditional art i, I you know i have original art my, myself and it's great that, that it exists but the other aspect is how much time you guys put into this and so I could never begrudge an artist that moves over to digital just because it, it can be, you know, when you get good at it, it can be so much faster, save, save so much time. And like you were saying earlier, you know, so much of being a, a comic book creator is sitting in a room alone, you know, yes. so I don't begrudge people who, you know, <laughs> want to be able to do it faster, maybe see their family and see the sun once in a while. Well, it's also about, um, you get paid per page. So the more you do, the more you get paid. And so True. Yeah. Uh, you streamline your process. And, and that, it's funny because, you know, for the longest time, I always was working on how can go faster? How can I be faster? I need to be faster. You know, cause the more I do, the more I get, the more I make. And, and, and in, in recent times, I'm actually more of the mind of like, I want to actually really take my time with this. Uh, cause I've done the fast work I've done it all. And I, I think I want to, I want to make sure that that every piece I do gets the the um, attention it deserves. Yeah, it's a good it's a good way to look at it for sure. So you got to find that balance, right, between being fast and and being able to provide for your family, but uh, you know, doing work that you're proud of. 
Well, and pre-digital comics, you know, I knew that no one was going to be able to, to see, you know, the detail I just did on these teeth. Mm-hmm. But with the, with the emergence of digital comics, I know these folks, some folks are going to go in and go, whoa, look at that. He totally did this and that. And so um, in the days in the, in early on, we were like, don't zoom in too far because no one's going to see that. Right. Uh, with interior work, half the time, the detail is going to get a word balloon stuck on top of it yeah. and, and literally disappear. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a great, it's a great point. And, and, you know, like I, I read a lot of my stuff digitally now because of it, you know, it's press preview copies and, and whatnot. I've got to read it before release day so I can have my, you know, reviews out time, but I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing the same thing. I'm pinching and zooming because uh, I want to see the detail and I want to see, uh, you know, how incredible your, your guys's work is. So uh, in fact, I had a conversation with Liam Sharp a few years ago. Uh, the, uh, the project he did, the Batman, uh, Wonder Woman, Brave and the Bold. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about that exact, he's got, I got to be careful not to zoom in because I'll, I'll, I'm working digitally. I'll zoom in and I'll spend two hours on putting all this detail and yeah. rendering into one little tiny corner of the page. But when it comes to being printed, you're not even going to see that, you know, because yeah, so much it's of that is lost. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he's like, what did I spend all this time on? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I feel his pain because uh, I can't tell you how many times like, oh, that background turned out so cool. Caption box, word balloon, <laughs> word balloon. It's like, oh, you killed me. <laughs> well, you, you do. This... No, go ahead. I since you paint these awesome like cloudscapes that you referenced and you photographed, you know, a month ago and you loved this, the sunsets, you put it into your work and then it's word balloon. Like, and then it's covered up. Well, you do something uh, at conventions that I've seen you uh, do for the last few years now uh, where you can so- somewhat eliminate some of that stuff. You do uh, kind of the colorist version of uh, original art. You want to tell everybody what I'm talking about? The, um, the color commissions, or are you talking about my artist proofs? Yeah, your artist proofs. Oh, yeah. So for the longest time, people would ask me if I had original printouts of um, of my work, uh, my digital work. And, and obviously, it, it's on the computer, so we don't, I don't have a, an original per se. So um, I bought myself a, a kind of a professional grade printer uh, and, and print uh single edition prints. So I just do one artist proof. Uh, I print it on cotton rag paper. I print it at original size. So the art 11 by 17, the boards that I print on are 13 by 19. Uh, and I, I personally print these at home on my, on my printer. And it's like a nine ink printer. And I, I, if, if I don't like the piece, if it didn't print the way it should have, I ax it and I redo it. Uh, so that, so what you're getting, you're basically getting what would be my original. And, and so I sell these uh, at conventions, uh, and and uh, mostly do covers that way, but um, do the interior certain interiors that way as well. So I've I, you know I've sold a, a lot of my library of of Hush stuff, Superman stuff, um, Blackest Night. Um, you know I think it, it, I, I, what's been cool is that the fans have have really taken to it and 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 have I do have regular customers who who are always texting or emailing, Hey, 
I just saw that cover you posted. <laughs> Can you pull it aside for me? <laughs> uh, which is great because, you know, it's, it's great that they appreciate my work enough to want to um, invest in, in it. Um, and then I still do like print runs of, of 50 or 100 of, of other pieces. So uh, I'll take some pieces and, and then reserve those for those prints because those are cheaper. Uh, but the, the, the bulk of the, of the artist proof work is uh, covers. Uh, and interiors for for the more popular books or or specific pages that were very popular in a book definitely get get the uh, the artist proof treatment. Yeah, I, one of these days I'm gonna pull the trigger on on one of those uh, because I, I I just love that it's it's your work in its purest form and and just like a piece of original art, there's only one. You know, you're the right. old, you buy one of those, you're the only one that that has that. Uh, you know, everybody else has the, you know, the book and that's great for them, but you know, you, for you as a, a fan uh, of your work of uh, your color work to be able to say, yeah. And I own the original, you know, colors of that. That's just fantastic. Yeah. What some people will do is they'll buy the board from uh, Jim's art dealer and then uh, ask me if I have still have the, uh, the, the color piece and they'll frame them side by side. Oh, that's just a cool, cool thing to do. Yeah. 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 Um, I also have uh, recently found um, for Hush, I actually watercolored the backgrounds of the interiors for the first five issues of the run. Um, and I found those boards with the watercolors on them and was able to create a printout on acetate that mm. when overlaid on with the watercolors gives you the final page, but underneath it, you have the original watercolor piece. Um, of the of of that page or cover and i think if i could probably where would they be let's see if i can pull one out later because it's it's kind of cool to see uh because it really does have kind of this little you flip it up much like um the old school um like trading cards and posters and right. books you used to paint um on on a board and on the overlay you had the the inks so mm -hmm. you were kind of flipping up, painting, you know, flipping it up, painting, flipping it down to kind of see the art. And then they would photostat that painted piece and marry it with the inks um, uh, with, uh, with the photography. This was pre-digital. Um, and so I kind of took a... a, 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 a a key from that and, and thought that I could probably replicate the page and it, it actually looks pretty cool. Uh, so because with, with Hush, I would, I would print out the page reversed. And so I would light box the backgrounds and then watercolor them in. And then mm. I'd scan that, open up the, the page digitally and then bring the watercolors in and then flat the figures in and then render the figures in and add the special effects. Um, and then obviously render a little bit over the, the backgrounds as well before I would. Um, uh, now, well, what made you choose to watercolor the backgrounds? Was it just in terms of, of adding mood? Gotham City needs to have that moody feel. When uh, Jim, Scott, and I talked about the book, we uh, Jim said, hey, I want Gotham City to be a character. I want him to, hmm. to have its own feel its own um, uh, texture. And the summer 
before I started working on it, uh, Lilo and Stitch came out. And Disney went back to the old traditional animation style, cell animation with watercolor backgrounds. And I had watched the movie in the theaters and fell in love with the backgrounds because they were all watercolors. Mm. And I said, hey, what if I watercolor the backgrounds? And Jim's like, well, give it a try. Let's see what it looks like. And, and so they actually really liked it. And, you know, I went with it um, mostly because at that time, the, the brush engine for Photoshop wasn't sophisticated enough for me to kind of replicate watercolor. Right. Uh, and about five, six issues into it, Photoshop had an upgrade that the brush engine just really advanced. Um, and, and so um, I was able to, to start to create watercolor brushes from that. And so like the back end of the, the series, I didn't do the watercolors for, I did all the covers that way though. All the colors got, all the covers got the watercolor ba uh, background treatment. All right. So at this point, you know, uh, I'm done rendering the specific pieces that I was going to work on. And, and what I'll do is I'll create the, a layer with the line art on it. And then above that layer, I'm going to create an extra, um, layer that's in screen mode. And what that allows me to do is that um, if I paint over it, it's going to affect the, the, the ink lines as well. So this is where I would come in and uh, color hold. So let's say if I wanted to color hold some of the, the, the energy stuff that Scott and Jim laid down there, I could come in here, fill, And change it into a color. Gotcha. Yeah. Or this is where you come in and you do the cool little the lens flare, huh? <laughs> the, the little glow effects and there's brushes that are pre-made like that, but some of us are purest our heart and we're going to go ahead and do our own little uh, and then let's go with well again the the, the technology how far colors and, and technology has come <laughs> it's just amazing And again, for the, the texture, a little bit of glow on the, the little things that can help sell. I would probably come in and do something like this on the legs. Jim has a little bit of smoke there and what I would do is just kind of mm -hmm. pop the smoke there but come in here and then this element that's in front 
would not be affected by the smoke. And that kind of, again, creates a, a really nice separation between this plate and, and his leg. Right. Yeah. Uh, and again, we would do the same here. This. Yeah, again, I think people just don't realize how much how much goes into this. You know, they just yeah, uh, that's a beautiful piece that looks fantastic. You know, whether whether it's the pencils or the inks or or the you know the finished piece with the colors that they're they're looking at. Um, yeah, there's just so much that goes into it. It's yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah, and this stage is the it's really the harder part of it, mostly because it's it's. It's, it's really tedious mm -hmm. and so that you have to make sure that you're selecting the the right parts of the uh, of the line art but it really creates that gap in space right, yeah. between the two now you can already see it tucking away from the from these pieces even though i haven't rendered them yet right even flatted like that it, it still pops Again, it would still be something like that. Yeah, again, it's just it's adding that realism to it, you know, yeah. that you don't you don't realize isn't there until you add it, and then you, oh yeah, of course it would look yeah. like that. And then I would, you know, once it's done, I, I create a JPEG, I send it to Jim and Scott, and we kind of talk about it and 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 address their their notes. And once that's done, I send it to the editor. The editor uh, addresses their their things whether it's a continuity thing or a costume thing and and then just prepare the file and send it off to the to to the publisher and then they send it off to the printer fantastic yeah. well wow, that was that was amazing alex thanks so much for uh for doing that for us i mean that would that was sure, sure i mean I, I like we were saying right at the top of the show we wanted to get together and do this for a long time and I'm glad we were able to do it when Zoom is a thing and, you know, it, it meant so much more to, to be able to see you work and, and kind of have you talk us through it. So uh, as, we're, as we're winding up here, uh, it's Christmas in a few days. I got to ask, uh, you're Mexican-American, much like myself, any holiday traditions? Like what's going on over there at the Sinclair house here for Christmas? Yeah, so I grew up in Mexico. The tradition is that you have Christmas dinner on Christmas Eve and then you open your presents at midnight. Like the presents that you give to each other, you open them at midnight and then you go to bed, you wake up, Santa's brought your gifts the next day and they're mm -hmm. unwrapped presents. You put your shoe out. That way Santa knows where to put your presents. Uh, and so some of those traditions we, we carried over. Uh, we still have Christmas dinner. We don't stay up till midnight to do presents. <laughs> Uh, and so the next day, uh, the kids would put their shoe out. They're all grown up. And so uh, no longer kids, but they still leave their shoe out because Santa's going to leave a gift, an unwrapped gift by their shoe. Uh, and then we open all the presents and then have brunch at my in-laws' house. And and, uh, and that's that's the traditions. Uh, I cook once a year and it's Christmas Eve day. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I created a, a dish that my dad taught me how to make. It's called uh, bacalao. It's a cod stew. Mm. I guess you could say it's, it's Spanish slash Portuguese dish. And, and uh, it's one of those kind of four or five hour processes to make. Uh, and it's, it's traditional for Mexico. And so that's 
if you want to see me cook, you have to be present on, on December 24th. <laughs> uh, at our house Christmas, uh, the tradition is tamales. Uh, my, oh, yeah. My, yeah. My grandmother's recipe. This is, oh. this will be our first, our first Christmas without her, unfortunately, but uh, oh, still, so yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. But yeah, still, still spent five, six hours on this last Saturday making, making tamales oh, and her mole. That's so. rough. <laughs> the rough. That's so rough. My wife makes tamales too. And so, it's rough because she usually has uh, assistance. My my kids will help mm-hmm. her make them, and this year there were no assistants. <laughs> oh so, man, uh, she had to knock them out on her own. Um, but they're delicious. And again, my grandma's recipe uh, of two different kinds of tamales. But I, I get you. But to me, that the food is Mexican. Yeah, uh, definitely. Exactly. Uh, and that's the tradition we kept, and, and the, the presents, all that stuff. We kind of merged the two. Yeah, I think uh, if you're anything like me, you know, probably age 10, 11 and younger, it was all about what what presents am I getting? What toys am I getting? But by the time I was about 12 or 13, all I really cared about was the menudo and the tamales. <laughs> that That's right. Are we going to grandma's? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. Yeah, Otherwise, where are we going? I need to, yeah, I need to fill up on <laughs> tamales. And it's every two hours, right? Every two hours you're at the table eating. Yeah. 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 See, for us, it was... Uh, the the tamales and the that bacalao uh, mm. for Christmas Eve the menudo was a New Year's thing the best hangover cure as as you said as you get older <laughs> you, you need the menudo for the hangover oh yeah yeah definitely <laughs> definitely well again Alex thanks so much uh, I can't wait till I see you at a convention again man I haven't seen you in like two years I know uh, I know so, uh, so looking forward to that uh, definitely best to your your family uh, during this holiday season hope it's a, a joyous uh, joyous Christmas. Uh, and to all you listeners, we want to thank you for joining us uh, and, and viewers on YouTube as well. Uh, we hope whatever you celebrate, Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, whatever it is, we hope it's a joyous time. And uh, yeah, if uh, if anybody wants to follow your work, Alex, as we're finishing up here, where's the best place to uh, follow you online? Uh, Twitter and um, Instagram is where I'm most active. Uh, both My name on both is Sync Color, S-I-N-C-C-O-L-O-R, two C's in the middle. Uh, and then I'm on Facebook under Alex Sinclair. Uh, and so that's where I'll post the most. Uh, if you want to see what my dog Bruce is up to, then you can kind of, <laughs> that's the Instagram story. You'll see him pop up every now and then, but, uh, yeah, if you'd like to follow me there, that'd be great. Uh, I announced my convention appearances, uh, new covers, all that stuff. Like I, I do post a lot there. Fantastic. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, everybody listening. Thank you so much. Appreciate you guys and, and hope to see every one of you at a convention at some point as, as, as we uh, uh, get the convention circuit started back again. Yeah, definitely. And if Alex is at a show, highly encourage you guys to go by his table, check out his, his one of one prints, um, you know, his, his artist proofs, check out his prints uh, and, and, you know, just talk comics. <laughs> He's a fan. Yeah, yeah. Like we are. I am. I'm a huge yeah. fan of, of all the artists and the new artists and the old artists. So I'm happy to just, come by say hi no you don't need to come by to buy a print if you just want to say hi i'm happy to say hello sign your books all that stuff yep so uh to you listeners again thanks so much for joining us we really appreciate the support as always and we'll talk to you next time take care thank you you can find the comic source podcast on spotify apple podcast stitcher google play or whichever podcasting app you prefer please tell all your friends about us subscribe and rate us The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. 
Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.